good day, my marsupial mutts. I'm <laughs> I'm sorry. I knew I wasn't going to be able to no, get through that. No, that was brilliant. That. <laughs> that was amazing. You got through it. You got through it. It's in the edit. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> I'm Devin Shepard. And I'm David V. Jacobs. And we are Cadaver Dogs. We're coming here again for another review episode, this time for the recent Australian film, which is why I did that very odd beginning, <laughs> Talk to Me. <laughs> We're here to talk about Talk to Me. Talk about Talk to Me, talking to David and our guest, Chloe Harper-Gold, about Talk to Me. Yes, today we have a guest. She is a horror writer that we actually met through the Brooklyn Horror Film Festival. Shout out. Yeah. Uh, Chloe Harper-Gold. Welcome, Chloe. Welcome, Chloe. Thank you. I'm so excited to talk to you guys about Talk to Me. Talk to- <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be. That was bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, it's so good because I just want to keep doing it the whole show. I'm so sorry. <laughs> this is great. Yeah, the three of us actually saw this movie together, so it's going to work really well. Like, we're, we're friends. It's awesome. Yeah, we thought it was a perfect uh, introduction for Chloe for the pod. And yeah, like we said, we met Chloe at a screening for Brooklyn Horror Film Festival, and we connected right away. And you mentioned that you were a writer, and we're like, ah. We need to talk about everything. Um, yeah, but please introduce yourself a little bit for our listeners. Hi, I'm Chloe. And as Devin said, I'm a horror writer. Um, I write horror fiction and screenplays. And I also write horror reviews for places like Dread Central and Nightmarish Conjurings. I love Nightmarish Conjurings. I think this was something that you and I bonded over. I was like, wait, that site, I use it all the time for the pod. <laughs> I remember being so excited that like, A, you liked it and B, you've heard of it because I feel like it doesn't get as much recognition as it really should. Um, so yeah, so so glad that you like it. Have we unknowingly referenced Chloe's work before on the pod, Devin? That's what we were trying to figure out. And I think at some point, <laughs> and now I wish I could remember that we'd have. Did we? Wait, really? Did we? See, no, I should have, I, I should have remembered this before. <laughs> Because I definitely read Chloe's work beforehand. <laughs> That's awesome. What are what are some recent things that you've written? So um, I have a short story that was just published in the first issue of Ghoulish Tales, which is a new horror literary magazine. My short story is called Heartbeat. And yeah, so excited that the magazine is out now. It's available for purchase online. Um, I recommend it to everyone, not just because I'm in it, because um, there are some really great writers in it, like um, Ray Knowles is in it, and Clay McLeod Chapman's in it, and um, oh. a bunch of other really cool authors. That's so cool. I feel awesome. like he keeps seeing a lot of these horror fiction zines and magazines starting to pop up more and mm-hmm. more. Yeah, I mean, horror horror literature is the basis of the entire genre i'd say so yeah you know it's great when the it's great when the horror film community collides with the horror literature community and i think that maybe it just doesn't happen enough i know that it does happen obviously i feel like it should happen more because we obviously are so similar i saw recently uh when i went to the overlook film festival there was a signing for um a horror fiction author whose name has totally escaped me, um, but whose recent piece was um, How to Sell a Haunted House. Something like Grady that. Hendrix. Thank you. I love him. I love that book. I actually reviewed that for Nightmarish Conjurings. Um, oh. oh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I reviewed it for Nightmarish Conjurings. And then uh, when it came out, I went to the book launch party, which was in Brooklyn. And Grady Hendrix did this PowerPoint presentation on the history of hauntings. And the history of what? ghost stories. It was so good. He's his research was immaculate, and his uh, presentation style was just amazing. So I really enjoyed that. Got a book, got it signed by him, and he was really happy that I reviewed it. And I still wanted to get a physical copy of the book. So that's cool <laughs> to talk to him for a little bit. <laughs> that's so cool. I feel like he's one. He's one that like falls between the line of film, horror filmmaker or horror film lovers and like horror fiction um, lovers as well. Like he blends that oh, line yeah. so well f- with his fandom, but the line for his book signing at the film festival was insane. And it was definitely people yeah. that like were there just to see him versus like to go Damn. to the whole film festival. It was like, but you definitely saw that 
you know, like the two sides of horror. Yeah, I could see that. He's, he's really popular. And I feel like the fans, like, I feel like Brady Hendrix fans are like, just in it, like ride or die, which is really great. No. Yeah, I, I know that name too. I don't know why I know that name, but I know that name. (laughs) He wrote, um, My Best Friend's Exorcism. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. I know of that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Right? I didn't read that one. A little bit. I went to the Midsummer Scream convention. There was a little bit of literature, but I feel like there wasn't that much literature there. Um, I mean, Tom Holland was selling his books, the director of Fright Night. I met the director of Fright Night. (laughs) Um, So to answer our two-year-old question, uh, I I, I asked him, what is Billy Cole in Fright Night? And he told me that Billy Cole is a, a... half vampire spawn who survives by drinking jerry dandridge's blood and i said oh he's renfield and tom holland said yes he's renfield (laughs) i love that he got excited (laughs) you're super cool i also have to say chloe's cat is on her right now and it's the cutest thing thank you this is Hikate. She is. Uh, she loves the camera, and I also have oh. another cat named Nix, who's a bit camera shy, but she's very vocal, so you might hear her. Cool. Are they both black cats? <laughs> um. So Hex is a tuxedo cat, and Nix is all black. Oh, so cute. <laughs> I feel like my friends with black cats. So there's never just one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I multiple. Yeah, cats. Cats are better in pairs. That's also true. (laughs) All right. Well, let's get into our conversation today. Uh, We are covering the recent film Talk to Me, which has just been blowing up everywhere. Um, Mm. Like David said, all three of us saw this together um, at a... No, we just saw it in the theater, didn't we? Yeah. Look at us go. Like normal (laughs) people. (laughs) Although, can we talk about the theater going experience for a second? We get to the theater. It was... so crazy packed like Mm -hmm. insane and we get to our seats and chloe goes to sit down and there's just a backpack oh yeah yeah oh yeah that guy showed up like 30 minutes into the movie to get his backpack just like a random backpack and the guy um the guy a few seats away from us said the worst thing that you could possibly say is oh yeah some guy uh just left the backpack there i think he'll be back and Devin and i are just like Okay, so this is this is a bomb, right? Like right? <laughs> we're in Union Square. We're like the middle of the theater. For the first thirty minutes of the film, I was so distracted by like, should I move this backpack? Is it going to explode? Oh my god! Because like the backpack was literally right in front of you, and like both of us are sitting next to you, and just yeah, exactly. For the first like thirty minutes of the film, I'm just watching, watching the backpack, watching you, watching the film, just like. Should I be freaking out? Is this valid to be freaking out? And then, oh God, like when the guys actually did come back and said, oh, have you guys seen a backpack? I just felt so relieved and also kind of like annoyed. Like, dude, first of all, why would you leave your backpack anywhere in public? Also, do you know what what era this is? What environment this is? Like, what are you thinking? It's I had that thought not- briefly. Um, Yeah. I mean, I assumed he was, was he there to watch the movie? He was there to yeah. watch the movie, I think. Yeah, yeah, so he was probably some guy because we were like getting concessions or whatever. And he's like, oh, let me go to this better seat that's in the middle of the theater. Um, even And then I'll just go to the bathroom instead of waiting to see if someone comes to claim the seat because. <laughs> right. And we should say, yeah, the, the seating was ticketed. So we like were yeah. assigned seats. Yeah. <laughs> even even like without the bomb factor, it's also just baffling how anyone would just leave their belongings in public in New York. Yeah. Like, I know. It was a nice backpack too. It was like leather or like leatherette. Like, That's why I got that? scared because it looked brand new. And I was like, someone definitely just bought this backpack to put a bomb inside of it. <laughs> See, I felt, I felt the opposite. I felt, okay, this is a nice backpack. Probably no one would use this as like a bomb casing. <laughs> it also came like during the first possession scene. So it was like, okay, dude, worst time to walk in right now. (laughs) Um, But aside from that, our audience, I thought, was really good. They, like, jumped when they had to jump. They, like, gasped when they had to gasp. Uh, They laughed when they were supposed to laugh, but not too Mm -hmm. much. 
um like it, it was it was a very nice audience that like reacted to the movie and it was fun to hear all those reactions <laughs> i agree i came out of it being like yeah that was the first time in a long time i've been to like a non-horror filmmaker screening first of all in a movie theater it's been a while but then also just like yeah to hear the audience react like out of fear and to be actually like scream like we had a legit scream in the theater at one point did we someone was scared yeah during the slap it was very different than when Devin and i saw scream six and it was like (laughs) a press screening so it was like all these people like sitting there with their little notepads like taking notes like Oh, okay. That moment was a little bit scary, I suppose. <laughs> it's like, dude, <laughs> why aren't you showing up in a ghost face costume? <laughs> so for talk to me, first off, did you guys think it was scary? Did you like it? And did you think it was scary? Yes and yes. Yeah, I definitely thought it was I I was I was tense. Yeah, I would say it was scary. Not as scary as I would say that like Evil Dead Rise was scary to me where I was actually terrified Mm. and horrified. But like this one, it was like I was definitely squeezing my my cup of like, oh, this is a very tense. The suspension was was very well done throughout the whole entire film. Cool. Yeah, uh, same here. Absolutely liked it. Um, It didn't scare me personally, but I do see that this movie is scary. Like. I, I know my dad was like horrified by hereditary, so I want him to watch this now because I know he'll be scared by it. I want people to be scared of this movie because I can see that it being scary. <laughs> Chloe, did you find yourself falling for any of the jump scares? Which there were a few, but yeah, can talk a little bit more about yeah your your feeling of the of terrified, scared in the film because you said yes. Yeah, so it wasn't really the jump scares that got me. Um, I thought the jump scares were executed very well, I will say. Um, I don't know. What really got me, though, wasn't wasn't the jump scares, wasn't really the special effects. The scary part for me was the implications of everything that was happening and um, just horrifying that, I mean, A, this entire situation is happening because that's, you know, just frightening beyond belief but also the reactions of everyone in response to seeing what was unfolding in front of them without spoilers just everyone's reactions to everything was Hmm. horrifying in just an existential way i'd say and yeah also just the inevitable fallout of everything that was happening like with the friends and the families that was what's scary to me. Yeah, yeah I, I was about to say that it's scary mostly in an existential way, and then you said that, so. <laughs> 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 the exact words. Um, it's not too much a jump scare movie. Like, there are a few jump scares, but I feel like if you're going into it expecting that, then you're you're not getting that. You're not getting a whole lot of jump scares. That's not the emphasis here. Uh, a lot of the scares are, what's the word? foretold when it when they tell you it's gonna happen and then it happens what's the freaking word for that foreshadowed not foreshadowed because foreshadowing is a little more subtle this is like Mm -hmm. they tell you like so in like 30 seconds there's gonna be a scare and then 30 seconds there's a scare and it's like it's not a jump because you're expecting it you know it's coming but it is disturbing to see it happen yeah they are disturbing scares and the basis of this film is more so a person going mad, which I was kind of surprised about because mm. I think I was expecting a little more of these jump scares. But I do respect that it was very supernatural, but also like, is grounded supernatural a thing? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, definitely. I feel like this is grounded supernatural. I'd say hereditary <laughs> is grounded supernatural. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yes. I'm like trying to remember, like, was hereditary explicitly supernatural? But yeah, it was. <laughs> I think people have interpreted that's not, but that's boring. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it would be like spiritual, but I would argue that spiritual is... Spiritual is supernatural. Supernatural, yeah. yeah. So did you guys know the directors before seeing this movie? I did not, it... but okay. I know now that they were a big deal on YouTube. Um, I've watched one or two of their YouTube videos. Uh, I understand that the kids like those videos these days i i i it made me feel very out of touch with 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 the youth i i am old now could you explain 
a little bit what you saw in the videos because yeah I, I like you guys don't know these directors but this is their debut feature film they are known as David said from being YouTube creators um, and but it's crazy to me that they made a horror film are any of their YouTube videos horror not that I saw what I saw was uh, absurdist comedy to the degree of like an Eric Andre type thing if you, if you like Eric Andre, I think you'll like their YouTube sketches. Um, it is it is very uh, the one I watched was a uh, there is the Ronald McDonald and uh, he he finds like his wife who's also a clown or something like that and she's like just ate a Burger King and then they have this fight but what? they're all like making squeaky noises so they're talking like this and things like that. What? <laughs> it's very. I was yeah. I I didn't. It was not what I expected at all. Yeah, I wish I did. I wish I had time for a little more research on them before this, but i that's kind of what I was expecting, and I was surprised to see, yeah, that they made a horror film, and I'm very curious what their trajectory but is. I also saw a video of them, uh, basically a behind-the-scenes thing, reacting as the movie kept picking up steam. Like, they, they have recorded all their reactions to getting into Sundance, uh, when they told Sophia Wilde, like, you got into Sundance, uh, when they, like, tell their parents, they're like, I got into Sundance, and the parents are like, what? <laughs> um, they have, like, when they were picked up by A24, and then they go back to Sophia Wilde, and they're like, you're about to, like, be a huge star, by the way, just so you Aww. know, you, you do not underestimate that. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's, so it's nice to watch. It's very it's it's really nice. I like that video a lot. <laughs> that made me feel good. We'll link that. <laughs> I want to see that. I, I are they young cuz I I think They're young. after okay, after learning that they were YouTube stars, I kept seeing in this they're film not it's that very young. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> but they're like 20s. I think 20s. I'm going to check. Okay. But what I did see anyway was it became obvious to me that they did come from YouTube because there were some camera movements and direction choices in this film that have that YouTube-esque creator style to it. I think a lot of the camera movements and specifically one, which is when the one that's repeated several times throughout the film, if you know what I mean, that reminded me very specifically of YouTube. And I was like, oh, wow, I can't believe that this style now of filmmaking is making its way over into horror i think this is like the first horror film that i've seen that like has been adapting youtube style a little bit more they're 30 they're our age oh perfect i feel nice. bad now <laughs> <laughs> did you guys um <laughs> did you guys pick up on that at all or what were some of your thoughts on some of the the filmmaking aspects of the film i didn't pick up on the YouTube style at all, but I will say that the cinematography was incredible. I thought the camera work was just brutal in the best possible way. Yeah, the camera work is amazing. There's a lot of very creative shots, but like they all fit. It's never doing crazy camera stuff for the sake of crazy camera stuff. It is always yeah. part of the movie, part of the world, motivated by what the characters are doing. Um, so it... it it never takes you out of it. It brings you deeper into it. And I, I, I like it. it. It works really well. It's a very well-directed movie. It is. I was surprised it was a, a first feature, to be honest. Same. Yeah, it doesn't bored. look like a first feature. Yeah. International films, though, they, they have, I don't know what it is. First features anywhere else but America have, like, I don't know, a little more oomph for some reason. Also, those Australians, man. Yeah. They did uh, the Babadook, and now they did this. I think that one of the Philip brothers was like a PA on the Babadook or something like that. Oh, I didn't know that this film was Australian going into it. Did you guys? Like, I didn't I... know anything about the movie. I went in completely blind. I didn't read a plot synopsis. I didn't look at the trailer. Like I went in. All I knew was it's A24 and people like it. That was it. Yeah. That was all I had. <laughs> I saw one trailer and I don't think that I picked up on the Australian accent somehow, or I just didn't pay attention, but it was <laughs> such a nice surprise. I mean, like, you know, Australian accents are lovely. <laughs> I am bad at accents. So I, 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 I think I thought they were Irish until they hit a kangaroo. 
Oh my god. When, once I saw that kangaroo, I was like, oh, this is Australia. <laughs> I do. I know. I know it is a thing in Australia, but it was kind of funny when the kangaroo shows up because you're like, this is the most Australian thing you could put in the first ten minutes of the film. <laughs> Apparently, they're oh, like man. deer, and they just are everywhere and a public nuisance. Yeah, yeah, which just like it's just I don't know, hard to wrap around because we don't have that. Yeah, but they are. Right. I wonder yeah. if like if they put the kangaroo in because they were thinking like this is gonna go international and we need to make sure that everyone knows that we're Australian. <laughs> or did they just like not even think about it and they're like, Oh yeah, kangaroos, they're such a normal part of life. There's one in our movie and then they get big internationally and you're like, Wow, everyone is like they've never seen a kangaroo before. <laughs> <laughs> maybe 10 in my lifetime (laughs) (laughs) i i probably saw them at the zoo as a kid Um, (laughs) i used to be be obsessed with kangaroos and it's still my life's goal to see one in person um so i'd love to go to australia just to do that very (laughs) achievable life goal hope so <laughs> chloe goes to australia she meets kangaroo hits it with her car and then the rest of talk to me ensues this is this is well at life. that point she has achieved her life goal so <laughs> <laughs> whatever happens next is fine <laughs> right so what do you guys want to give your bone reviews chloe we can start with you so it's a scale of one to four bones uh with i mean zero being the worst four being the best half bones in between what do you give this movie? I'm going to give it three and a half bones. Nice. Should I explain my answer? Or is that? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have listened to this podcast before. But <laughs> you have 90 seconds starting now. Oh, man. All right. Three and a half bones. I thought it was brilliant. I thought the concept was interesting. I thought it was executed really, really well. Um, the half bone deduction was because I thought that some of the beats were a bit predictable. Devin? Look, I'm going to go out and just give this a full four bones, I think. I, yeah, I, I liked this movie and I thought it was really well executed. Even though I agree there might have been some moments that lagged for me, I was still like really into it the entire time. And I was debating giving it three and a half, but the, I had such high expectations for this movie and they did not disappoint. And I think that is saying a lot for usually how I view films. So I will give it that other extra bone just because I knew I was going into it with like, uh, this is going to fail, but it didn't. It, it definitely hit my expectations. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was also surprised to see it hit my expectations and exceed my expectations. When I first left the theater, I was also just like high on hanging out with friends so I think I, like, actually underrated it in, like, my letterbox review and whatnot. I have not stopped thinking about this movie since the theater. And honestly, I can't have think of a single problem that I have with the movie. <laughs> so I don't usually give four bones on a first viewing. So for right now, I'll give it three and a half. But that might go up later. Um, if I watch it again, it might go up to four. But for right now, I'll give it three and a half. <laughs> So we're all like sitting at the same place. That's nice. That's nice. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go see this film. <laughs> Essentially yeah. is is the takeaway there. <laughs> all right. So now I'll bring us into the section where we talk a little bit more about the meat of the film. Um, this section will have spoilers. So for those of you who haven't seen the movie, feel free Get to lost. Yeah, <laughs> just stop it right here. Go check out another episode. Yeah, or you can hang out with us and, and spoil the movie, but we really suggest that you don't. <laughs> All right, so takeaways. Who has something juicy? I'll start. So I think that the comparison that we made to this movie to Hereditary is really, I guess, in line with the central theme of both films, which is grief. And mm. with Talk to Me, grief is a central theme. So we have our protagonist Mia who is grieving the sudden and tragic death of her mother and she doesn't have any closure from that and so it's you know obviously 
killing her emotionally, mentally, and socially. She's withdrawn. She doesn't doesn't really know what what she's doing and what she's about at this point, which is fair because she's grieving her mother, and it it leads her down a really bad path, and it leads her to do some things that cause other people harm and other people trauma, which is going to lead to her friends and her family grieving other things. So I'm not really sure where I was going with that. Sorry. (laughs) It all made sense. Yeah. Great. Central theme is grief, trauma, and what, what we do with that. I love that it doesn't shy away from her doing shitty things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is, I I meant to bring this up in the non-spoiler section. Like the complaint I've heard other people listen to, like I listened to the, Hiker Slash podcast, which I really like. And uh, one complaint they brought up was that some of them uh, felt that the characters weren't likable and had a problem with that. Um, I, I agree with that, but I like mix. Okay. Um, I agree with that, but I like that. I like that the characters are very flawed and make you question whose side you're on. Um, I don't think this is a woman specific grieving I, I i feel like it's very uh yeah gender I, I i don't think much would change if mia were a man in the movie no i i'm i'm <laughs> purely saying that mostly because i watched a whole thing about male reviewers and unlikable characters but that's oh really the point. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's bias in my mind <laughs> um, i'm like men can also grieve devon <laughs> No, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 yeah. That wasn't... We <laughs> that feel was not... emotions. <laughs> Gender targeted. I was more just curious. <laughs> yeah, I agree. To me, that's what makes the movie stronger is that hmm. Mia is such a not not flawed, but complicated character. And I think mm-hmm. that it, it, it is done yeah. very well. It's like, yeah, you're not supposed to be rooting with her the entire time because she is struggling and you're supposed to understand her struggle. I mean, to me, it was so relatable, I think, to anyone that's kind of like had a a complicated teenage experience. Like, yes, there is the grief there, but I also saw this as being like it could be, you know, a, a representation of drugs in the film. It could be a res- representation yeah. of basically anything that a, a teenager or a young person um, devotes their pretty much negative energy into and spends most of their time um, falling out of their life, you know, falling out of their friendships, which we see in the film, falling out of their relationships with their family, which we see in the film. Um, Yeah. And then eventually, as Chloe said, hurting others as well. Um, So it kind of can be a representation of anything that someone's gone through. Social pressure also is a huge Mm -hmm. theme in this. You know, I mean, like, Mia participates in the hand-holding ritual because of the social pressure involved. She wants to be accepted. She wants to fit in with her peers. And so she's doing this um, really sketchy activity and she ends up getting addicted to it. And um, I don't agree. Why? I mean, I agree that there is a peer pressure element to it, but I don't think that is what Mia brings Mia into it. I, I think Mia is brought into it more from her grief and her loneliness. Uh, The movie is called Talk to Me. It's about, like, people won't talk to her. Her father Mm -hmm. won't tell her what's going on with her mother. She knows something is off about her mother's death, but no one will tell her what it is. Uh, Her friend Jade won't talk to her. She's, like, busy on her phone and doesn't even remember that it's the anniversary of the mother's death. Like, she is alone and the the hand presents something that will actually talk to her and mm. will communicate with her on this deeper level. And it is like, if we don't help others through their grief, then they're going to find another way to uh, do that, especially teens. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, the peer pressure element is there. I think that that plays into it a lot with, uh, uh, What's his face? Riley? Was Riley the kid's name? I think so. The younger brother. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it plays with that. It plays with uh, Jade not stopping them because Jade clearly th- 
thinks this is fucked up and wants to stop them, but she doesn't feel that she can step in because everyone else around her is okay with it. Um, yeah, I think so. There is peer pressure in the movie. I just, I just think that that's not what leads Mia to do this. I think that's an interesting point, but wasn't it um, implied or outright stated that she didn't know if holding the hand was actually going to do anything? Like you have all these videos, like all these viral videos of kids doing this ritual, but because yeah. it's, um, you know, ghosty and because you can't catch the ghost on camera, no one can really um, validate the experience of anyone who's doing it. And so yeah. you have yeah. this, you have all these videos and maybe, maybe it's real, but you know, it's the quote unquote real world. So the most likely thing that's happening is that all these kids are faking it and doing it for a meme. Mm. And so Mia doesn't, doesn't know that this hand is going to show her any spirits at that point. So it's a nice little surprise for her when it does. Yeah. It's really interesting. Cause usually like, yeah, the social pressure I don't know. I always tend to think more of like the peer pressure side when we talk about social pressure, but you're right. It's like that, that want to be a part of the world that everybody else is in, um, which is something we see through grief a lot too. It's like, I am not okay. And everyone else seems okay. And everyone else seems to be at this certain level of like happy or like doing fine and doing well. And I want to be a part of that. So I'm going to do what everyone else does, which is yeah, have a seance. <laughs> The, the... It's more complicated than being able to boil it down to a single factor. Yeah. The yes. the premise of this film, the the whole seance memification of the seance of it all, could easily be so cheesy. Mm-hmm. Like I was yeah. so terrified when they introduced the film of like, oh, this is kind of like a viral video movie, and I was like, oh god, I'm not gonna like this film. But it 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 gets executed well, and I can't really tell you why it works but they they and I, probably because they treat it these filmmakers treat it with respect i think them coming from the youtube world is them knowing this audience and knowing how to talk to this audience and how to present to this audience and that we haven't seen as much because we see so many filmmakers being like i don't know i don't watch youtube i'm not on tiktok but i'm going to try to make films involving characters that are constantly on TikTok and YouTube, which we have seen in horror and have seen it poorly executed many times. Yeah, I agree with that. To speak to the YouTube part and the viral video part, I think one of the most horrifying elements of this film, for me at least, is the fact that all of these kids kept on filming with their phones when they're seeing their friends go through these horrible and distressing experiences, especially with that one guy, I forget his name, he's the boyfriend of Jade. Slash Daniel? 11. Yeah. Is that Daniel? Sure, yeah, Daniel. He... <laughs> it is now. I could yeah. be wrong. <laughs> I mean, like, they're all watching him have, you know, his body is being completely possessed by this malevolent spirit who's making him act out sexually in really... Uh, inappropriate Mm. ways and they're just filming him and not trying to stop their supposed friend from you know french kissing a dog you know that's horrifying like the fact that there's this total disconnect this empathetic disconnect that their friends are just watching all this unfold and not helping him no i think that's a really interesting takeaway and it, it it does hark back to you know being a teenager and not fully I love that you said emotional dissonance because it is that it is like not being able to fully understand what is happening in the moment or seeing all the consequences of the moment, Mm -hmm. you know, and I specifically like when you see someone maybe going too far into their drug habits, like there's only so much you understand at that point in your life um, Mm -hmm. as someone like who is immature that like, yes, a lot of people in the world like they don't stop and it's not because they just like don't understand what's happening it's because they just have that yeah they just like can't understand what what the consequences are going to be at that moment it's like uh the in the opening five minutes uh riley is hanging out with his friend and his friend is like smoking a cigarette and he's like you want this and riley is <laughs> like no uh, is it true that you can get addicted if you smoke once i'm like i love this because this actually winds up being the plot of the movie <laughs> 
It's interesting you bring that up and on the social pressure theme, like you brought up that yeah. cigarette and then also the boyfriend, Daniel, um, they bring up several mm. times that he doesn't want to be sexual, but there is that like social yes. pressure there as well. Yeah. So you see it a few times throughout the film or, I mean, especially in the little brother, I think too. With, with Daniel, I interpret it more. He comes from a really Christian family, I think they said, um, yeah. or a very religious family. Uh, and I, I think that he's actually been pressured not to have sex, but oh, interesting. Still has those desires, and I think that's why his uh, possession was the way it was, where it was like super sexualized and releasing all his inhibitions because he just has barriers upon barriers upon barriers, and then they all get torn away at once. Yeah, which like that's a thing. Repression is real. Repression is not healthy to an extent. <laughs> <laughs> Too much repression is not good. So what were the moments in the film that didn't work for you? I know, David, you said that you didn't really have any, but uh, yeah. Chloe, I'm curious. I mean, like I said, just a few of the beats were predictable. Like, uh, they introduce a little brother character who, I mean, <laughs> I mean, like you introduce a kid in a film and there's like a, there's like an 80% chance that they're going to die in a horrifying way (laughs) (laughs) you're not wrong but oh my god it's sad it's sad i mean like kids are just cannon fodder for horror (laughs) (laughs) but i mean like you know you have you have this kid and it's i don't know it was predictable that he does the hand ritual and it's predictable that this kid is the one that's going to get really injured from it and maybe that's not maybe it's not predictable to everyone like if someone doesn't consume horror every minute of every day maybe they wouldn't find that predictable fair i mean i do consume (laughs) horror every minute of every day but i i didn't go immediately to he's going to get severely injured and like barely be in the rest of the movie i (laughs) i saw him as the third protagonist and I was expecting him to stick around longer. <laughs> oh. Maybe you're just more optimistic than us. Well, not not, not all horror has the balls. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah. I was <laughs> not expecting as gruesome of a scene of him being possessed and hurting himself. That was yeah. pretty gnarly. That was that was surprising. Yeah. I I enjoyed it. I mean, I yes, I agree. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it in the sense that it was well written, it was well acted, and uh, the the special effects and the practical effects were realistic in um, just a yeah a very gruesome way. Yeah, his makeup was especially when he's in the hospital like very effective. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I like. Like, obviously, we're all talking about how it's a drug metaphor. I feel like that, I mean, that's obvious. It's very obvious pretty much right away that this is a drug metaphor. But it also, or alcohol, or just addiction in general, addiction to anything. Like, it can be a stand-in for whatever. Uh, But I feel like it it, it doesn't stop there. It goes a lot deeper. Like, even walking out of the theater, I was like, there's the obvious addiction metaphor, but I feel like there's more. And then you get into all this stuff about grief and isolation um and like being a teenager not knowing how to handle these things because i mean i've been a teenager i was fucked up when i was a teenager and as an adult if i went through the same things i went through as a teen then i would like have coping mechanisms in place now but back then you you don't have any coping mechanisms and that can be really bad yeah exactly (laughs) yeah i agree it was another thing in the film that like Yes, it feels so obviously this can be a drug metaphor for the, out the entire movie. Again, could be a little too uh, on the nose, but for some reason worked. And I think for all the reasons that you said, David, like there is more here. And I think it is mo- more than a drug metaphor. I think it is it is a whole coming of age, spiraling teendom situation here that yeah. the hand can represent anything to anybody Which that had a hard time. ties into the drug metaphor yes yeah exactly all the metaphors connect and feel related to each other yeah plus we also have the point that uh trauma grief and you know 
unresolved issues from both are also are you know the perfect recipe for a future drug problem or alcohol problem. Yeah, you're right. Okay, that's what it is. It's it's not just a drug problem. It's a it's a movie that shows the drug the reasons of a drug problem. Like say the Hellraiser remake, which we covered on here, we mm-hmm. see a a woman struggling with addiction, but like we don't fully understand how she got to this addiction in the first place. And yes, addiction mm. is a disease, but Chloe, you're so right. There are things that fuel that disease, and that's what this film really shows is is the trauma and the grief that that starts that that addiction or that um that introduction to drugs. So there was a very famous, uh, two very famous science experiments. Um, I didn't look these up in preparation for it. I just, so I might get some details wrong. But in the first experiment, they want to figure out uh, if when presented with drugs, will the rats just become addicted? So they put the rats in their little experiment cages and they gave them the two nozzles to drink from. One is just plain water and the other is a drugged water that is addictive. And all the rats OD'd and died. But then, and, and so then they released that study, and they're like, as you can see, when presented with drugs, someone will just become addicted and they'll wind up ODing. So we should regulate drugs, and that's a problem that we should deal with. Drugs are the issue. And then another scientist looked at the study and said, wait, 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 wait. I'm calling your bullshit. Um, so he did his own study where he instead of putting the rats in individual cages, he put them all in one big cage, which was like rat heaven. There was like all all these uh, things that they could run around on. There were obstacles. There was like enjoyment. There was social uh, socialization with the other rats. They could hang out. They could have sex. And then he gave them the same two nozzles, the same choice, and they didn't touch the drugs. And then he released this and said, as you can see, the rats didn't become addicted just because you gave them drugs. They became addicted because they were fucking miserable in their cages. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, think I, I think I read about that or learned about it in some science class that I took in school. Mm. But yeah, you're right. Environmental factors are a huge thing when it comes to substance abuse and mental mental health problems. Yeah, this movie tackles that really well. And I like it a lot. I mean, tying that back into the movie, that's like, I, I mean, it's like I was saying before, the movie is called Talk to Me. It's about her feeling isolated and alone. Even though she has friends, she still feels like she's on her own. Uh, she has a kind of a strained relationship with his father, with her father, who is trying his best. He's not like abusive or anything. He's just dealing oh, with his dad. own grief. And yeah, I feel so bad for the dad in this movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is weird he doesn't get introduced until an hour into the film. Yeah, that's a little weird. Yeah, yeah it's he a gets little weird. Just pretty late. What do you guys think? Maybe I missed this completely, but they did set up the mother's death to like be mysterious for some reason. Did you guys take it as anything else but a suicide? I thought it could either be a suicide or an accidental overdose um, because the mom mm. was trying to. God claw her way out of out of the bedroom or the bathroom or yeah. wherever she yeah. wherever she overdosed. So um it yeah, it was either an accidental overdose and she couldn't get herself out of the room or it was um a suicide attempt that unfortunately was successful. I thought they were building to a reveal that she was playing with the hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they they did build a mystery around it, but I I now that I'm thinking about it more, maybe the mystery comes more from Mia herself in not wanting to believe. No, there's definitely a mystery. Um, yeah, because they present it and they tell you like, oh, it was an accidental overdose, but it it's meant to feel weird. And your first well, thought who is, who tells you that? Mia does. Yeah. And your first thought is, this sounds a little bit like it might have been a suicide. Are we sure it was an accidental overdose? But then as the movie goes on and it's digging into all the drug problems, I, I, I did absolutely think like, oh, this is going to be a big reveal that she was with the hand. And I think the movie mm-hmm. lends itself to that a bit because you're trying to figure out like I, I assumed at some point that all the people that they were seeing were people who had uh, messed with the hand and died because of it. And it was predicting that fate, which is the ultimate ending reveal of the movie. 
so I was thinking, oh, because she's seeing her mom, her mom must have also been doing that. Um, but then it's, yeah. it's not the mom, which mm-hmm. is great. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a good mystery. Now that we're on the subject, actually, they did announce that they're making a second film in this whatever franchise yes. trilogy, whatever this is going to be. Would Are you guys more interested in seeing, I think there's some questions of whether or not there's, it's a prequel or a sequel or possibly they'll do both. Which one are you guys more interested in seeing? Are you more interested in seeing a prequel and who with? Um, or are you more interested in seeing a sequel? I'm more interested in a prequel, without a doubt. I want to know more about the origins of this hand and who who this hand was originally attached to, I think would be an interesting thing to explore. Yeah. And also just, um, I guess, the who, who started passing this thing around and why and how did it go from wherever it originated to Australia and how, how old this hand even is. Yeah, those are some yeah. questions we were asking after the movie. Um, I remember in our initial conversation, we talked about like in the final scene, because they're in another country now, does that mean there's more than one hand or was it a just a significant time jump? Because I think I was thinking it meant there was more than one hand. And then you guys pointed out like, well, it, it like she's obviously skipping through time in these moments. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> um, so but it is. Like, if you make one hand, you should be able to make more so there could be more. I mean, where's the other hand? Where's the right hand? Well, unless it's well, yeah, unless the the lore that they tell of the hand is true, and it is just a, a single hand off of a seer. I, it could be really cool to see that that psychic um, in a prequel. I kind of picture yeah. it a little bit like um, a little bit like Lynchay and in Insidious yes. franchise. <laughs> that would be fun. I'm a little bit hesitant of giving too many answers. But I'm I I mean I want to see whatever they do. If they think they have a story there, then great, I will watch it. Yeah, see that my was first, my issue my when first, they announced yeah. it. But I was like, we don't need one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, this, continue. David. This doesn't. Yeah, this doesn't feel like it needs a franchise. But I mean, yeah. I said the same thing about X, and then Pearl was even better. So. <laughs> mm. So I'm open to it. We'll see. We'll see what they come up with. And yeah. if it's as good. Wait, yeah, wait, wait. I'm, but I'm would you rather prequel or sequel? I mean, if it were me in the pitching room, I wouldn't go with either. So it. <laughs> I, I, I don't out of the an answer. answer. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Like, it's what I said. If they think they have a story there, then I'm down for it. But I don't right now see how either story will be compelling or satisfying. Yeah. David like, needs I to just, be pitched. Yeah, I need a pitch. Yeah. I need I need more of a pitch than just a sequel or a prequel. I need to know what the idea is. I I guess I would go with sequel because because I I I I'm not convinced we need answers and I think it's creepier if we don't have answers. So I'm not yeah really interested in getting a prequel about where the hand came from. I mean, if it's just like a, a kind of prequel that's almost might as well be a sequel, like Indiana Jones style, then great. Like if they just want to do a prequel about the the two brothers from the beginning of the movie, like I'm I'm down for that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> My takeaway from all this is like there are so many ways that we could go with this storyline. That mm. yeah, I'm interested in seeing what they'll come up with. But as as this film stands, it is good on its own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The sequel should be called Talks to Me. Talks to Me? Talks to Us? Yeah. Talk like to Us? Like Alien Aliens style? Yeah, Talks to Us. Talks I to like us. that. Talk to Us. Talk to Us. Just talk to us. And there's a <laughs> two the <laughs> for the T-O. Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. I've already seen like in the articles, they just made the two and two. And I'm like, I mean, that's <laughs> that's definitely not the title, but I I, I, I thought people are just assuming that. <laughs> it's gonna be the two is made out of the hand, but instead of like the hand grasping now, the hand's just putting up a peace sign, and it's just like the tattooed. <laughs> this is our. And then the third us. one will be yeah. talk to three. Um, 
Yeah, I I think someone was talking about this on the they did a Reddit AMA and uh, the Philip brothers were like, yeah, uh, like, well we're most excited for the tenth one where it goes to space, and I'm just like, yeah, that's yes, that's, I'm down, I'll do that. Thank you. <laughs> the screen came out when they were supposed to. <laughs> Everyone knows that Stab has time travel. And they are so right. far past the number of movies of screen movies that they are the stab movies that had time travel. So where is our time travel? Where is our space movie? We got to get there. Talk to me is going to be the franchise that does it. I'm happy. Let's do it. <laughs> Technically, yeah, they need to go to space. They already had time travel. Anyway, uh, is there anything else that you guys wanted to touch on about this film before we wrap things up? I really like we mentioned how they... they uh the the Mia being a flawed character, it makes you question whether or not you like her. But I like that the the opening of the movie that that's that's kind of a subversion. I think that when the movie the first ten minutes uh were introduced to Jade is like Riley's sister who was so distracted by her technology that she forgot she was supposed to pick him up, and Mia is her friend who is like more responsible and sees that Riley was abandoned and like brings him home. And I feel like it's setting you up for like, Oh, Jay's going to be this like typical annoying teenager. And Mia is like the likable character, but then it like subverts that. And it, 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 you don't know how to feel about it right away. Cause then Mia actually like starts to self-destruct and Jade like has her shit together and is like, stop doing this. (laughs) I was on Jade's side. (laughs) I was on Jade's side for like most of the movie. (laughs) But I was like surprised to realize I was on Jade's side because she wasn't set up that way. Now, now that you're saying that she kangaroo. was. Oh, sorry, hold on. Uh, now that you're saying that she was addicted to technology or like into her technology. Mm. Now I'm like that feeds into the peer pressure, too. And now I'm like, oh, what if it's not drugs? What if it is Internet culture addiction more than mm. anything else? Mm, it might I like be. That. I mean, they had that. Um, they had a bunch of studies that show that. I guess, engagement on social media, like, you know, if you get likes on an Instagram photo or comments or whatever, whatever else, retweets, I don't know, um, it lights up the same areas in your brain as other pleasurable inputs. So social media can be an addiction and people are addicted to it, but it's not, it's not the social media itself. It's just, you know, the the dopamine. Ha- yeah. The happy chemicals. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's the pleasure that you derive from it. The acceptance. Your brain on social media. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted to talk about the kangaroos. I did want to ask about the kangaroo. What did you guys think of the kangaroo? And what did, did you think the kangaroo represented anything? And did you think that uh, they they were calling back to the kangaroo at, at, toward the end of the movie? Yes. What did you guys think? Yeah, that was one of the things that I was a little bit annoyed about because it was so predictable. So you have this, <laughs> you have this poor kangaroo who's a roadkill and Mia can't, can't euthanize it, which, you know, sucks. It's understandable. I don't know anyone who would be able to do that. Um, so it's understandable. It sucks. It's a horrible situation. But as soon as that happened, I was like, this is going to come back. This is going to come back in a horribly traumatic way. And it did. And the, and it did because, uh, she was being told by the spirits to put the the little brother Riley out of his misery, just like Riley was telling her to put the kangaroo out of its misery. So I don't know. I understood it. I understood, you know, the foreshadowing and the significance of it. I just thought that it was a little bit heavy handed. Yeah, I agree. The kangaroo was definitely the cheesier part of the movie for me. I think it does seem like one of those things that moment where um, Mia couldn't couldn't kill it and put it out of its misery was supposed to be like a and this is a likable moment for Mia, but it wasn't as much for me. Also, there there are obvious correlations with the kangaroo and her mother, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And her mother specifically like dying and crawling, trying to claw her way out of the bathroom, um, and clearly in in misery um and no one was able to take her her suffering away which was interesting but i think like also pretty apparent in just the mother character and did we need a kangaroo 
I think it's also like me being American and seeing a kangaroo is just like somewhat cheesy to me. <laughs> yeah, I like what you said that it's the mother because I haven't thought of that one. Um, on Hacker Slash, they all interpreted the kangaroo as being a parallel to Mia herself because she winds up as roadkill at the end, which that makes a lot to of me sense. that one. Yeah, it didn't feel that deep to me until you said the thing about the mother because that that's that's cool. All all of them are miserable and want to be put out of their misery. I guess that's true. But when I was watching the movie, I was with you and thinking like, okay, the kangaroo thing is a little cheesy. It makes it a little predictable. But I kept thinking about it because I I think I have a slightly unique interpretation here. The emotion is different for me. That. When she's being told to put Riley out of his misery and kill him, we know that that's a lie. That we know that it's not really her mother that's talking to her. It is something else, whether it's another spirit or a demon. Like, we we have no idea what's going on there. But we know that it's a lie. I don't even think that Riley was being tortured. I think that entire orgasm vision that she was given was fake. So we're rooting for her to not kill him because he's not actually he's not the kangaroo she just thinks he is right. um i think she even sees an a vision of the kangaroo right mm-hmm. yeah in the mm-hmm. hospital yeah so it's like the ghost fucking with her a bit when she doesn't put the king doesn't kill the kangaroo in the beginning of the movie the merciful thing to do in that situation is to actually kill it and the fact that she doesn't is to me a a a an understandable weakness that w- it 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 feels bad that she isn't able to do it and i think you can almost interpret this in the end that when she doesn't kill riley is it because she's come to her senses and realizes that this is a lie for just that brief second in which she takes her own life and saves riley or is it because she wasn't strong enough to put him out of his misery? Yeah. And I, 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 I like that. I like that there is that slight openness. I agree. This movie is fucking sad. Yeah. <laughs> this movie's really sad. <laughs> She's just doomed to an eternity of limbo, I suppose. Limbo-ish. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so dark. And is she going to become like the other spirits who are just like mad and and want to do crazy shit every time that they possess someone? Like, is Mia going to be like that? What causes the spirits to be like that? That's what I would like to see explored. I want to see explored how you go from being someone who just got killed by this to being the spirits that do all that crazy shit. Oh, there you go. David wants a sequel. You answered the question. Yes, yeah. I want a sequel. <laughs> or a prequel about the ghost that is pretending oh, no. to be the mother. Yeah, that one's... Yeah, some of the ghosts. You There's so many ways you could take this movie to another... It's yeah. so franchise. <laughs> well, I was so happy that not only did we get to see this movie together, but then we got to talk about it. Not yeah. only at the bar, but now also here. Um, so thank you, Chloe. <laughs> for coming on and continuing the conversation with us. Um, can you please tell our listeners where to find you? We'll link all your stuff in the show notes, but how can they, how can they find you? Yeah. Um, you can summon me via Ouija board if you're so inclined, or uh, you can follow me on Twitter at YoClo13. And on my Twitter, I have um, one of those links in my bios that you can click on to see my writing and my TikTok and my Instagram. Um, and I also tweet funny things occasionally. So you should definitely follow me for that <laughs> rare occasion. <laughs> Can confirm she tweets funny things. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for our review of Talk to Me. We'll be back soon with an analysis episode. I promise we are so close. Um, in the meantime, next month, we will come with another mini-sode, which will be a fun guest. You'll see who that is. Uh, in the meantime, you can find us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at CadaverDogsPod. And if you have any thoughts or want to come on the show, please email us at CadaverDogsPodcast at gmail.com. See you, mutts. Peace. Yeah!
来的 UN。